Welcome to Copyright Clearance in this podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, September 8th, 2017, with a review of the book business news this week and a look ahead for stories to follow. We turn every Friday to Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. He joins me now from New York. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, after a nice break over the Labor Day weekend, the unofficial end of summer here in the U.S., we are back with a full plate of publishing news. As fall arrives, Andrew, the big book season comes right along with it. And next week on Tuesday, the first big book will appear in bookstores. So tell us what's happening, or rather, what happened, as that's the title of Hillary Clinton's account of her failed presidential campaign. That's right. The fall book selling season is upon us, and uh, it's getting off to a pretty newsworthy start as Hillary Clinton indeed will publish her 512-page account of the 2016 election, uh, which we expect is going to top the bestseller list in the coming weeks. Now, the book's been pretty closely guarded ahead of its one-day laydown on Tuesday, September 12th. Review copies have not even gone out. I have not yet seen a copy, nor have we got one yet at PW. And I'm told that Hillary's agent slash lawyer, the DC lawyer Bob Barnett, has been pretty adamant that the book stay under wraps until Tuesday's publication. And believe me, I have tried to get my hands on an advanced copy, but no dice. But maybe it turns out it looks like I, I guess I just wasn't trying hard enough. Well, I'm sure you did your best, Andrew. I think CNN just got lucky. Uh, the cable news network obtained a much sought after copy earlier in this week. And the story about that reminds me of Willie Sutton's answer to the reporter who asked why he robbed banks, because that's where the money is, he <laughs> said. So in this case, if you want to find a book, well, you go where all the books are. Yeah, so while I was working on my sources, CNN actually did the smart thing. They just went to a local bookstore in Florida, and they bought a copy. Now, we're not sure exactly how that went down, right? Maybe there was an employee that knew an employee. Maybe somebody got greased. Who knows? But, you know, I'll put it this way. Doing a one-day laydown for publishers is hard because bookstores have to get stock. They have to have it ready to go. And it's hard to imagine that every employee in a bookstore knows or cares about a book being embargoed. So in the future... When there's a book like this and there's a hard embargo, I'm just going to go to a few bookstores and talk to a few employees that maybe didn't get the memo and see if I can get lucky. I, I, I think it's a good way to go. But in the past, when it comes to embargoes, you've explained or, or disclosed your own disdain about the practice. So I'm sure you're not upset to see this one fall. But how do you think it worked in this case? Did the embargo of Hillary's book serve any purpose? I don't think so. Not in this case, no. And you know, I can understand the impetus for it. Um, I mean, it's Hillary Clinton, and she's about to toss a grenade into the political world here by talking about the 2016 election. And just as Congress returns to town, and the Russia investigation heats up again, and we have a budget and debt ceiling legislation that needs to get done quickly, and of course, DACA's in the news. But you know, not to give journalists, especially book reviewers, advanced copy, I think was a questionable choice here. For one, somebody was always going to break the embargo, which, which of course happened. And I know it wasn't necessarily Simon & Schuster's choice here, and I won't tell you how I know that, but I think it came from the author's camp here. But you can distribute copies to the press, and you can have them sign agreements not to write about the books, and generally the press will obey them. Um, and it lets people who are going to be writing up about the book think about it, and generally it leads to better and more thoughtful coverage ahead of a book's publication. But a hard embargo, like the one that was on the Clinton book, I mean, Come on, this is politics. You know, 
everything leaks. There was no chance that this book was going to stay under wraps. When you've got reporters out there, you know, pursuing it and trying to find it, of course, one who just walked into a bookstore and bought it, apparently, was going to come away with it. So, you know, I think the danger here with an embargo like this, a hard embargo, is that the story now is going to be treated almost entirely as a political story, which, of course, it is. But that story will be a few passages about what Hillary concluded about the 2016 election, and that's going to blanket the media over the next few days to the point where a lot of people are going to feel like that's the book. So why buy it? I already know the story. I saw it on Politico. I saw it on Fox News news, whatever. So I understand the impetus to try to keep the book low profile until it comes out because you want to capitalize and make a splash with your publicity. But a hard embargo like this, uh, which never had a chance of being respected, I think is ensured that the coverage will, will flash more on the politics side than offer like a really a richer, more detailed look at the book itself. Um, still, hey, I'm going to get my copy on Tuesday morning and maybe we can talk a little bit about what's in it next week. I wouldn't be surprised if we do. And when we return, Andrew Albanese has more news about forthcoming books on politics, as well as news about the politics of bestseller lists. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book with Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. It's Friday, September 8th, 2017, and we are going over the news of the week and looking ahead at what to expect from the book world in coming days. And as our listeners know, Andrew, you get the plum assignment twice a year there at PW to put together the magazine's rundown of forthcoming books on politics and current events. And we heard earlier in the program that Hillary Clinton's book lands in stores on Tuesday next week, but there are a few other books from your recent top 10 list with pub dates of September 12th as well. And these are books you think may do well and certainly should be of interest to publishing types. So tell us about those. Yeah, there, there, there are two other books in addition to Hillary's that I would definitely recommend if you're going to be book shopping on Tuesday, September 12th. Uh, the first is a memoir of the 2016 election by NBC News reporter Katie Turr, and it's called Unbelievable, My Front Row Seat to the Craziest Campaign in American History. Now, our listeners probably know Katie Turr. She became uh, a target of Donald Trump's animus on the campaign trail. He labeled her Little Katie and, and made her sort of the face of the dishonest media at many of his campaign rallies, so much so that Tur actually needed bodyguards on the campaign trail at one point. So that book also drops on Tuesday, uh, but we did get copies ahead of time, I'm happy to say, and I really like the book. It's really not at all political. It's very personal. In fact, I think it was a good choice not to make it political. As a document of the 2016 campaign, I think it may be the best book of the bunch. I, I really enjoyed the peek behind the scenes of what it was like to be on the road with the Trump campaign. And next week on the PW site, I'll actually have a Q&A with Katie Tour. Uh, that'll drop on Tuesday, the same day the book goes. Uh, and our review will be available also. So uh, you know, if you're into politics you know, or you're a politics person, that's definitely a book you'll want to check out. And definitely check out our Q&A with Katie Tour on Tuesday. And the other book I'm going to recommend that drops on Tuesday is our friend Franklin Ford. 
the former editor of The New Republic, who joined us on a panel at the Miami Book Fair a few years back. Uh, his book is called World Without Mind, The Existential Threat of Big Tech. And I think this book should be a must read for anyone in the publishing business. Now, on that score, the book kind of preaches to the choir. But Four is a terrific writer, and he really puts his chops behind this really impassioned indictment of companies like Amazon, Facebook, and Google, and a Silicon Valley mindset that he says, and I'll quote here, has eroded the integrity of institutions, media, publishing, to supply the intellectual material that provokes thought and guides democracy. So I'll also have uh, an interview with Franklin Fork coming up in the coming days, so you can look for that on the PW site, too. Uh, Now, both of those books, Katie Turr and Franklin Four, they may not actually hit the bestseller list or last on the bestseller list for very long, but they were both top 10 picks in June when I did my Politics and Current Events Roundup. Uh, And along with Hillary Clinton's book, if you love good nonfiction and politics and current events are of interest to you, Tuesday is going to be a great day to hit your local bookstore. All right. So let's turn then from politics and bestsellers to the politics of bestsellers. Uh, Regnery, the conservative publisher, has decided to take on the New York Times bestseller list, or at least to take its books off the New York Times bestseller list, if I have it right. Uh, Tell us about that. Really interesting news this week. Uh, Regnery Publishing President Margie Ross said that, effective immediately, the publisher was cutting all ties with the paper and will no longer use the Times as a basis for providing things like bonuses to authors and employees, like Publishing contracts often have escalators that say, if the book hits the New York Times list, you get an extra 10 grand or something. Um, so why would Margie Ross take this extraordinary step, you might ask? Why? Liberal bias, of course. Something the Times, I think, is quite used to hearing at this point. Now, Regnery, as our listeners may know, is the home of authors like uh, the Obama and Hillary Clinton bashing Dinesh D'Souza. And most recently, I have a book on my desk that is nonfiction, though it reads like fiction, um, about how Sharia law is coming to America. So it's pretty right-wing stuff. Uh, But is this really a left-right issue with the New York Times bestseller list? Well, not necessarily. In a letter sent over the weekend, uh, the Labor Day weekend, Ross argued that the Times book sale data seems to prioritize prioritize liberal-themed books over conservative books and authors. Now, Regnery has had books that have appeared on the New York Times list. They've even had books that have charted at number one. Uh, But the last straw for Ross apparently came for the week ending August 23rd, when The Big Lie, which is Dinesh D'Souza's latest book, debuted at number seven on the Times list. Uh, And that's despite the fact that it was number one in sales out of all of the 15 books on the Times list that were featured, that were, excuse me, according to the MPD book scan numbers. Now, MPD book scan only accounts for about 85% of copies sold. Um, There's, there's eBooks that are not folded into that as well. So, so who knows what that really means. But the problem here is that the formula for the New York Times bestseller list is secret and they guard it very closely. And, and a Times spokesperson, Jordan Cohen, said that the notion that the Times would manipulate the list to exclude books for political reasons is simply ludicrous. But still, complaints about the lack of transparency and this sort of secret sauce that the Times uses to compile its lists are nothing new. They've been around for years. You know, publishers have complained about the paper's methodology. Uh, it relies on point-of-sale data from this super-secret selective list of stores, and it can't produce skewed and inaccurate results. So... 
this is something that I think we've been talking about in the publishing industry for some time, how the, how the Times actually comes up with his numbers. Uh, this is worth keeping an eye on, and we'll definitely be keeping an eye on this at PW. But what's interesting to me is that the New York Times list is still the gold standard for marketing, whether you're a conservative or a left-wing, whatever, whatever. You know, Regnery Books is still going to get books on the list if they're selling in bookstores. So... What I wonder is if Regnery is now going to forgo taglines that say New York Times number one bestseller when, when they have books that hit the number one spot or even get on the list. That's really, really powerful stuff when you can claim a book as a New York Times bestseller. Are they going to walk away from that now over the dispute? Stay tuned. All right. Well, whatever title happens to land on the bestseller list, Andrew, you're a hit with us every Friday <laughs> here and Beyond the Book. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure, as always. Coming up next on Beyond the Book, among politicians, soft power is the name given for the gentle practice of using culture and other indirect means to gain favor and influence. In the United States, Hollywood is a soft power superpower. Fashion, music, and cuisine play similar roles for many other countries. On the intellectual grading curve, Iron Man and Wonder Woman hardly hold a candle to the giants in the pantheon of French authors. From Albert Camus, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1957, to Yasmin Oreza, who was pre-Renaudot laureate in 2016, French authors are known for their revolutionary insights and romantic expression. No wonder, then, that this fall, France is repeating as guest of honor at the Frankfurt Book Fair. And as Louis Presse of the Institut Francais in Paris told me this summer, the real honor goes to the French language itself. We really uh, meant to uh, put the French language, uh, the essential um, uh, guest of this uh, project. Uh, first of all, again, to have this idea of hospitality, of opening, of uh, not of a country behind the, 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 the boundaries, etc. Then also, uh, well, the French language is this extremely wide and uh, open language, very living language and diverse. Uh, this French language doesn't belong to uh, the French people anymore. It's not the language of the French people. It's really the language shared by many people that living by themselves. And this French language has to be uh, known and uh, uh, discovered in every aspect of its uh, variety and all the authors and the different uh, creators that are using those, uh, this language. A salute to France next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries RightsDirect and Ixis drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. Mm-hmm.